This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. They have to have sex. We'll give you the B scene as long as you also include this technically threesome scene. And a dog drinking whiskey. Yeah, I need it in there. I need it. Welcome to The Good, The Bad, and The Science, the show that breaks down the science of television and movies with a comedian and a scientist. Today we're discussing Blade Runner 2049. So I'll ask about androids, synthetic farming, and even some holograms. Hi everyone, I'm your host Ethan Edinburgh, and I've got two wonderful guests joining me today. My first guest is an associate professor of psychology and neuroscience, oh no, and the Neuroscience Institute at Carnegie Mellon University. It's Tim Versteinen. Thanks for having me on again. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm glad to have you back. Uh, we talked about Shaun of the Dead last time. Another scary movie. I guess both were kind of scary, suspenseful movies. Yeah, more more silly. At least Shaun of the Dead was. I don't I don't think Blade Runner 2049 counts as silly. No, that's true. But it was a little spooky. It had spooky sounds. And I would say some aspects of it were silly, if I may. I'll buy, I'll buy that. Okay, very good. We're already in agreement. We're starting off on a good foot here. Uh, my next guest is a writer, actor, and host of the Alarmist podcast. Welcome to the show, Rebecca Delgado-Smith. Hi, Ethan. I'm so excited to be here. I'm very excited to have you, Rebecca. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for watching this awesome movie and agreeing to talk to me about it and Tim. Um, so first off, that's that's really what I want to know. Was this your first time watching the movie? Had you seen it before? What was your uh, take on it? Well, it was absolutely my first time watching any of the Blade Runner movies, actually. Okay. Um, so it, wow. biggie so for me. you're coming in totally, That's yeah, right. totally blind. Coming in hot. I've got a lot of uh, opinions and questions as well. Uh, Great. So I'm excited to talk to an expert about this. Okay, good. Well, you came to the right place, that's for sure. The perfect place to break down the film. Uh, and Tim, what about you? Had you seen this movie slash Blade Runner, the first one? Oh, I, I think I've seen Blade Runner, the original movie, at least three dozen times. And Wow. Uh, when I, when I rewatched this one, it was, I think, the fourth time. I've oh, my Lord. Sequel. So, yeah. And I, I also read the book. And I've written a book premised off of the title of the original Philip K. Dick book. So, like, I'm a little obsessed with, with Blade Runner. <laughs> Holy hell. I love that we have both sides of the coin, both polarized sides here. And I'm kind of in the middle, which is cool. I've seen it, you know, a couple times. I've seen Blade Runner. I'm a fan. But you're a super freak expert. And Rebecca is totally a neophyte. This is going to be perfect. 
So I got to ask up front then, what was your book based on the playing on the title? Oh, so the title of the original Philip K. Dick book is Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? And right, so yes. So when uh, my, my friend and colleague, we wrote a, a Neuroscience of Zombies book, uh, and we titled it Do Zombies Dream of Undead Sheep as a homage to, to Philip K. Dick. So Excellent, yes. And now it's all coming back to me. Shaun of the Dead, I recall we were talking about these zombie issues, but we can't go down that path today. We're talking about Blade Runner. Um, so, I mean, it feels silly for me to even ask you what you think about it. I assume you love both films, Tim. Oh, no, I, I hate it, and I'm a glutton for punishment. But, no, I'm kidding. Um, Masochist yeah, no. bastard. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I love the concept, and I grew up watching the original Blade Runner, and just as a as a world that you immerse yourself, you kind of immerse yourself in, it's a, it's right. a wonderful experience, right? And the, the toy on what it means to be human or be treated like a human, I, I really kind of enjoyed the semi-philosophical angle of that when I was growing up. So it was one of those movies that I kind of watched at the right time and yeah. just kind of got hooked on. Uh, and then I, so I read the book after watching the movie, I don't know how many times. Um, and then when 2049 came out, I was like, I, you know, dying to watch it. Uh, and so I was probably one of the first people to, to kind of watch it because it was, you know, such a big experience for early part of my life. And I was very happy with it. Like I was, I was prepared to be disappointed. You know, I was also a Star Wars fan and I lived through the prequel years and, you know, you kind of just get used to expecting bad things from follow-ups, but uh, no, the, the Blade Runner 2049 did not disappoint. So of course I watched it many times again. Nice. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. I very much enjoyed it as well, but Rebecca Delgado Smith, our new to Blade Runner fan and friend. That's what did you right. think? Well, uh, I'm very fresh to the Blade Runner franchise. Um, and I was very excited to find out that Ryan Gosling is in the film, uh, being a yeah. huge fan of The Notebook. So you can already kind of, you know, get a sense of my taste <laughs> in, in movies. Um, mm -hmm. Very different from The Notebook, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> sure yep i enjoyed the film i found it to be very slow um there okay. are so many shots of snow and rain falling <laughs> yep this is true um, a lot of darkness as as one might expect in these apocalyptic kind of uh mm -hmm. films and a lot of science frankly. Yeah. Um, and I, I have to admit, I had to read a description of the plot as I watched the film <laughs> <laughs> because I was so uh, lost. But I think I, I got a good understanding of it. Um, essentially, the, the, the love story pops up to me. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I good. do have some questions going forward about how, how love the love happens in Blade Runner. Yep, yep. That's a good question. I, um, I wrote down pregnant because uh, it was a term that I wanted to be used and it was never used, which is pregnant replicant. And I was like, oh, that's starving for someone to say pregnant. Um, but yeah, I was uncertain about how that whole thing went down. I'd love Tim's, you know, especially having read the book. Uh, I don't know if they cover that, but I'm curious about it. 
But yeah, Tim, what? How do you think this works? I mean, we this is not pregnancy as we know it. Uh, I, I mean, I have no idea. Like the the part of the body I study is all up here at the top. But um, like, I, I I can imagine ways that you would you would get this to work. Like they have uh, artificial uteruses now, right? But they're they're mostly used for in experiments where they're kind of growing new animals or whatever. But um, I can ima- easily imagine a future where you know you can have artificial uteruses put into what is essentially like a biological android. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I don't know how the mechanics of that would work. I'm sure that there is probably a lot of, I don't know, lubricant involved. Um, and probably, <laughs> well, like, let, you know, let, let me ask I'm not you sure this. if it works the same way, but. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The break is over. Here we go back to the show about science. <laughs> Let me ask you this then. I mean, first of all, I think it does work the same way. Just seeing how these people are looking at each other. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Seems like yeah. we all know what's going down next. But <laughs> my question is like, and maybe this is, Rebecca, what you were concerned with also. Tell me if I'm wrong. Where the difference is between machine and human. What do you think, Tim? Well, I mean... Th- that was, uh, and I, I hate to do this, Rebecca, because this is spoilers, but I guess watching Blade Runner 2049 completely spoils a critical chunk of the first movie anyway. But, um, you know, the whole point in the original Blade Runner was at some point, are the replicants just as human or more human than humans, mm. right? That's the famous line that comes out of there as, as you know, one of the, the lead bad guys who's a replicant in the first movie is dying. He's saying, like, more human than human, right? Um, and so, yeah, I think that ambiguity is the point, right? At some point, if you're artificially created through, you know, some slip and slide tube that Jared Leto has that you're just going to come out of, (laughs) but every other aspect of you has feelings and memories and, you know, emotions and can feel pain and can cry and can bond. If you could do all of that stuff, well then, you know, you have all the aspects of being a human. Mm-hmm. Does that does that does that mean that just because of what method you were born defines who who's human, or is it based off of your behavior? Right. These are in yeah. you know in a lot of ways in the field of artificial intelligence. This is things that people talk about a lot, and when I mean a lot, I mean they write and talk a lot about this, even though it's kind of far off in the future. But like you know, at some point there should be 
rights for artificial entities, if we're going to make them have artificial consciousness, if we're going to make right. them have synthetic emotions, you yeah. know, just because we built it, does it mean that it doesn't have these things? Well, I hadn't thought of it of it that way. Uh, but right now, uh, you know, it's I I'm thinking about like all of the artificial insemination. Obviously, this must be some kind of theme, right? Uh, where when it comes to how far we've come with fertility, um, and how, you know, obviously, if uh, a child is, uh, you know, conceived through artificial insemination, you know, they are just as much human, right, as as you and me. Um, and I was curious, like, I was curious by the fact that they so easily died. That to me right. was the most humanizing part Same. aspect. Yep, it says right? even at the beginning that they have enhanced strength. And so I was like, okay, we're going to see some some S go down, if you know what I'm saying. And yet it was kind of like they had regular human strength, except for when he like burst through a wall that they, we did see. Sometimes it comes out and you're like, oh, okay, this guy's really strong. He can really take a punch. But other times he like gets stabbed and he goes down the way I would fast. I would say that Dave Batista is kind of superhuman anyway as a human being. So him as a replicant, right. I don't know if, if he was stronger than he would have been or weaker. I don't know. There was a gray line for sure, which I thought at first I was like judging the movie on. And then, of course, I was like, Ethan, who are you? You've never made a Blade Runner movie, you idiot. Shut up. And then quickly realized like it's probably on purpose. They're probably not defining this you know, in black and white because of what you're saying, because of this ongoing theme of what is it to be human even, What's, what, what differentiates us from the machine. And so that I kind of like because it is almost like at every turn you're unsure, you know, oh, is this person real? Oh, is this person a machine? Why do I care about that? How do I feel? How do they feel? So I did really enjoy the kind of back and forth between that, although it is alarming to think of the machines in our lives being totally... Uh, conscious and walking around and remembering every single thing that we've ever said and done. Well, that was part of the point in the first film, too, was that uh, Rachel, at, when you first meet her, you don't know she's a replicant. And that's kind of right. part of the point. Right. And then there's the ambiguity as to whether the original Blade Runner Decker is is a is a replicant. Like he doubts his own humanity for a little bit. Like he doesn't know if he maybe he is a replicant and doesn't know it, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then they kind of expand that idea in the sequel. But like that's that's a central premise. Is like if we can make things that are so realistic as to seem human, well, would that start to make you doubt yourself? Like if we can implant a whole childhood's worth of memory oh, into somebody so that you just have them, and you wake up one day and you think you've had all these experiences up until yesterday. Like, okay, if that's possible to implant, then how do I know I, I, I'm not a replicant who just had an entire childhood implanted into his memory 24 hours ago? Oh, totally. I would totally buy that today. I would I'd immediately doubt it. I think that I respond to things in a really similar way, a predictable way. I could totally be a machine. Sorry, spoiler alert. <laughs> to me, that's so terrifying. It, it's, it, it's what's terrifying is that... Um, I mean, I, 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 I think I could fall into that category as well, Ethan. Half of my memories are based on photos. <laughs> I'm pretty right. sure. You yeah. know? So, so we could if change you the photos. And the fo you do a good yeah. Photoshop, I'll be like, yeah, I did yeah. 
live for a summer in Japan. That's right. <laughs> That's right. My my dad did play for the Miami Dolphins, and I was on the sidelines my entire childhood. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's I remember right. Because of this picture, it's completely changing my mind about it. Do you guys know we can we can implant memories? We can make false memories in people. Okay. I'm sorry, pray tell. How do we uh, so, do that? Uh, so th- there's this classic research in uh, cognitive psychology where it started uh, with the research of Dr. Elizabeth Loftus, who uh, was up at the University of Washington. She was the primary person who kind of showed the unreliability of eyewitness testimony and how mm-hmm. people will basically when you remember something, you're re-simulating it in your head and you get little errors every time you re-simulate. And so like the shirt color changes or the hair color changes or the race changes, it's like things that you, you recall every time you do it, you kind of corrupt it a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. And and there was a, uh, I think it was Randy Rodiger, uh, was a was out of the University of Washington where he made the study where he would read you a list of words about something, let's say window. So he'll say glass, pane, transparent, vision, but he wouldn't use the word window, but he'd talk all around it. And then, you know, have people do something else and come back and say, okay, you know, tell me, I'm going to read you a word. And you tell me how certain you are that you've heard it. And it's like 90% of the time, I don't remember the exact statistic, but a vast majority of the time, people will swear they heard the word window and they will get angry if confronted with the fact that they didn't hear the word window. And wow. we do this all of the time. Like, you, you, in fact, I'm getting like, angry right now. Do this. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, my Lord. Oh, my God. This is so terrifying because one of my biggest fears is false imprisonment. And that, you know, <laughs> you're mm-hmm. <laughs> Ethan's laughing at me. Sorry, but it's funny. I, I'm telling you, I, th- this terrifies me. And before forensics, this is pretty much all they had to go on. Right. So yeah. just think about all the people I- in history that have been falsely imprisoned. Anyway. Oh, yeah. No, I'm with uh, you. I, I'm, a, I'm a monthly donator to the Innocence Project for that exact reason. It plagues my mind. Uh, can't stand that anyone is in jail for a day by, you know, uh, somebody's weird, uh, biased opinion or false testimony or what well, God knows what. Uh, you're absolutely right. I'm with you a thousand percent, Rebecca. It is terrifying. <laughs> um, and speaking of terrifying, I kind of wanted to discuss some of the 2049 predictions that they're making here because... A, kind of classically, we have flying cars, which I just assumed when I was little we would have by this time. I'm a little pissed off that we don't. I'm disappointed. Um, But they're also, you know, hologram all over the place, like hologram billboards. There's hologram romantic partners. So, Tim, maybe you could tell me first, did anything stick out to you as like, oh, yeah, we're definitely going to have this really soon? Or is this all, you know, fanciful, this is coming in 2100, 2200 stuff? I mean, well, we already have like hologram Tupac doing concerts, right? So uh, That's true. The, the hologram tech, I think, is pretty close to being more ubiquitous than it is now. Um, but uh, okay. I don't know how expensive it would be to have a giant hologram customized billboard that will have a naked woman reaching out and like talking to somebody as they're walking across the bridge as you saw in the film like i i, mm-hmm. I think that might be way too expensive but i could see holograms <laughs> and a little inappropriate 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sh- you know, I'm sh- I'm sure that like you know, it, the hologram looks different from different perspectives, and there's children's filters on it and everything, right? <laughs> um, so holograms are pretty pretty set. What I what I thought was interesting was the way that they kind of ads connected or the like simulated hologram entities interacted. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. there was the AI that he falls that Kay falls in love with and kind of as his partner, right? And she she is a hologram that just lives in a computer in his in his wall and then on that pen that he has but mm-hmm. um but that makes sense because you could you know you develop a relationship with any interacting agent and people start to bond with it i mean that's the entire premise of the movie her right um yep. you, you you know it, you could easily see where a smart enough artificial intelligence that just has a conversation with you people people will bond with um there's a colleague over here at Carnegie Mellon who develops um, what he calls the artificial therapist. And it's a AI that talks with you through your computer. And it's it meant to just do guided interviews to get certain information out of you, but they frame it as a therapist. And people know that they're talking to uh, just an artificial avatar of a therapist and people will disclose like... <laughs> <laughs> seriously disclosed to the point where sometimes LP uh, LP Morency is the uh, researcher who does this has to like come in and say okay stop 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 like you're, you're my colleague talking to my robot and you're starting to disclose some things that we probably shouldn't hear you know so like people will bond really easily with very simple kind of cues and very simple uh, yep. social conversational engagement so I could easily see people falling for that um, and that being you know, if not something that'll happen by 2049, probably, you know, not that far off after that. (gasps) Wow. Wow. Hologram friendships. I mean, that's so I'm glad we're talking about the hologram and specifically Joy, the the, the girlfriend, because Mm -hmm. my big question was, how did she get I forget her name. The 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 one that um, was a a sex worker. Orange lady. Yes. Yes. Yes, orange hair lady. Um, how did she call her to the apartment? Oh, I just how assumed that was like a come? that was like a text public uh, forum <laughs> public information thing. I assume Joy okay. has PI abilities. Okay, so Joy did not have to be controlled by Kay in order. Like she kind of had oh, her no. own life. Like she could have sent She's on a her text. Own. Yep. Oh, okay. Yep. Well, thank you for clarifying. That's that's the sense I got was that that. At least the way that I saw Joy was she was a, you know, she she was an independent entity. She just lived in a wall, but, you know, she had her own desires and emotions and stuff like that. So, yeah, I, I, I imagine that, you know, we're all connected enough now. She probably set up a Tinder profile and just like, you know, Boom. that 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 would be a way to get, you know, somebody to come over and be your physical body for a while. Although it is strange that it was that specific character that he had an interaction with when she wasn't present. The, the, honestly, the issue I had more than that, as far as getting her to the apartment, was exactly why this whole thing was taking place. I guess the, like using the physical body. Of, I was like, can she, does she feel like she's real? Is she just doing it for him? But that was probably just my own journey of <laughs> trying to figure out who wants what. Well, it felt like a fun uh, fantasy the writers were having. It's like a, 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 <laughs> yeah, a exactly. new way to do a, a threesome, you know? <laughs> it's like, and they're, they were both incredibly beautiful women. I mean, the writer just went to town that when he was yeah, writing. Yeah, yeah, the writer was, was just. Writing these scripts. 
I mean? Just <laughs> I'm assuming about, it's a guy. So I actually hot. don't know who wrote it, but I would probably bet my life that it was a man who wrote this uh, screenplay um, just based on that scene. Um, yep. But yep. you know what? Props, props. Enjoy. Enjoy, man. <laughs> um, I really, I, I want to move on to another question, but now I'm stuck on this and have to look up. <laughs> If the writer is male or female, so it has to be. It has. Yeah, to be. I, I think you're right. As a male, that would be a scene I would write. I get it. Yeah. See, see. Um, Hampton Fancher. That's what it seems That's... like. Yep, Hampton Fancher and Michael Green yeah. both sound like guys to me. Hampton and Michael. <laughs> I don't know. Um, well, I hope they got what they were looking for through that scene. If not, I hope they traveled to Japan or whatnot, where I think they have like some sort of hologram porn you know, uh, actually, brick and mortar places. We have sex dolls already, right? Like it seems sure. like it's not that unrealistic in the future that that, you know, an artificial intelligence could just upload herself into like a, a doll's body or in this reality, they have replicants like they can make biological physical beings like now that i'm thinking more about it like there are so many different ways that joy could have had this experience that's what i'm saying him. yes and that that, that one you're absolutely right like i i i hadn't thought about that before because you know dude but like it yeah it's weird <laughs> super weird okay i'm glad that we all agree on that um okay so I also wanted to bring up the whole synthetic farming thing because I did think that was very cool, even though it was like, you know, hardly mentioned. But they talk about how they have to do synthetic farming to avoid famine. I wanted to know if we're doing synthetic farming that you know of, Tim. And he also mentions that he's doing like protein farming. And then he just puts a bunch of worms on the table. And so I have talked to several scientists before who have told me that that's actually the way to go. Like we are screwing up by relying on these bigger animals for protein and that we should be eating crickets and worms and God knows what, because that's more cost effective and they have more protein per square inch. So I wanted to get your take on that, Tim. Well, I mean, there's much more biomass in general across the entire planet in bugs than there is in large animals like the type that we eat, right? So mm -hmm. absolutely. And, you know, there's two ways you could have this kind of artificial farming. One is to, you know, create artificial organisms that, you know, in the, in the book and everything, they're, they're artificial organisms. Like people get artificial pets because you can't afford a real pet, right? And there was that whole scene in 2049 with the dog, right? And it's a real dog and that, you know, real animals are, are, are a rarity, but you can make an artificial one all you want. Um, mm -hmm. And so if you can make artificial ones that have the same, you know, proteins as, as, you know, real animals, I don't want to say real animals because they're both real, but as non-artificial animals, then mm -hmm. we could consume them the same way. Like if it's the same meat, we can consume them the same way. So like, you know, as a, as a, as a future famine response for, you know, dealing with a large population with a destroyed ecosystem, which, you know, may or may not be our future um having having artificially grown bugs as a protein source wow that would make perfect sense and we also have things like um you know they're it's not cheap to make but we're already growing artificial meat in the lab um there's a right. there's a scientist out in germany i think who is uh growing artificial beef um ground beef and it tastes the same as regular beef it just i think it's like 300 dollars a pound or something ridiculous but 
Um, but like, you know, so we're, I think, pretty close to being able to generate artificial proteins, muscle proteins that we can use as artificial meat in a realistic way. It, aren't we already doing that with vegetables? Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, okay, great. Just like a possible <laughs> meat. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. and I was just thinking like, you know, corn and potatoes. I mean, I, I, you definitely know this better and I'm going to make myself some dumb, but like, aren't we, <laughs> um, manufacturing seeds that then create these, you know, they're not really coming from regular seeds. They're coming from manufactured seeds, but they they still taste like what, you know, whether you argue that it doesn't taste the same as a regular apple or a regular potato, it still give you, gives you the nourishment that you will need. A am I right? Or am I crazy? No, you're not crazy. You are spot Could be on. both. The, okay. Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> Rightfully um, crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, correctfully crazy. I like that. Yeah. Um, the, um, you know, the, they're, I'm not sure how litigious they are. So let's just say there's, there's a company that rhymes with Ron Santo that, you know, <laughs> genetically modifies seeds in a way for like, you know, uh, pest resistance uh, or I guess technically, um, uh, pesticide resistance or herbicide resistance, right? So you can spray your fields and get rid of everything else but their seeds. Um, and for like bigger, more water-containing tomatoes and things like that. In fact, a lot of the a lot of the foods that we get in the store, uh, or at least lots of the vegetables we get in the store, we've through a, a mixture of just breeding programs across decades and centuries, as well as you know genetic direct genetic modification with with other methods you know, we're not really eating natural plants. Like the tomato you get from a store, your typical store, is not the same type of tomato that grows naturally in the wild, right? Um, or, you know, the a lot of the other, you know, apples and stuff like that. I, I love apples, but there's like now like three dozen different varieties of apples in my store at all time. And, and most right. of them have come out in the last few years. And it's, you know, that we're getting really good about genetic control uh, and, and kind of being able to, you know, build bigger, more robust fruits uh, that we can eat that mm -hmm. really only depend on us. So like if we go extinct, they go extinct too. I do want to make the distinction though, that although this all sounds good, like, oh, we can manufacture synthetic, uh, produce or meat and we can get the nutrition from it. I will say that anything I've ever heard about Ron Santo is terrible. <laughs> oh, abs From what? absolutely. Okay. Yes. And we're so, only talking about Ron Santo. Um, just, just so we're clear. That's yeah. right. <laughs> I wouldn't want to upset anyone in the real world. But from what I understand, Ron Santo is doing monstrously destructive activities to all of us. Oh, everything. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. And I will say that I believe Ron DeSanto is a monster as well. I'm going to throw that. <laughs> that whole Santo family. Yeah. I know, right? Right? <laughs> That's I why if we could really link the two. That would be like the biggest boogie. I'm sure. Ever. <laughs> I'm sure they're linked, my friend. I'm sure they're linked somehow. And they're, they're outcast black sheep brother, Santa, they sent to the North Pole. He has nothing to do with anybody. He's That's on a different right. plane. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. The break is over. Here we go. Back to the show about science. 
Um, okay, so I wanted to just get your this this might be a stupid question, but hey, that's why we're here. What's up with that scene with the bees, Tim? Can you tell us about that? Unless Rebecca, you know something I don't. But there's like he gets to Orange Vegas. I believe it's Orange Vegas. And then the first one of the first things that happens is he sees a bunch of bees. He puts his hand in a beehive or like where a beekeeper would keep like a bee tower, takes his hand out. It's covered in bees, which, again, is making that's a point on the side of this guy's total robot. But OK, his hands covered in bees. He's got a bee glove. And then he walks through the city. He takes a stroll and nothing happens with bees. I mean, who amongst us hasn't come across a beehive and just put her hand in the beehive and then walked away as if it was nothing? I mean, I, come on. You guys are telling me you haven't done that? I don't think I have, unless there's an implanted memory. Rebecca? <laughs> yeah, only after a bunch of whiskey. <laughs> yeah. I was so, like, I just didn't know if it was symbolic or did you have any clue what was happening there, Tim? I had no clue. And the only other symbolism I've heard about with bees, um, oh, there was that series on Netflix that uh, had Jeff Daniels as like the really creepy bad guy. Um, Godless? Godless, yes. And, Loved Godless. And, and I and I remember bees were a central part of that, but it ties to something about Mormon mythology. And I don't, I oh. don't know much about Mormonism, so I'm not sure what it was. But I remember reading that like the bees were something that was symbolic with Mormonism because he was, you know, kidnapped or raised by Mormons as like the central premise of oh. his character. Okay. Um, but that's the only symbolism that I, I really know of. Like, I love bees. I think they're great and I think they're cool. Um, sure. But like... I didn't understand that scene at all, except that it looked like visually cool. Like, I feel, right. I feel like 25% of this movie is just, wow. You know, what looks the just, coolest? Look at the, look at the colors, look at the, or listen to the sound and the beat. Actually, the beat scene is really cool to, to watch with a good surround sound or headphones because they like the vibration of the bee wings, you can almost like feel, right? Like, so mm -hmm. the soundscape was great for that. But you I sound like one of the it. writers pitching us this scene. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, doesn't mean okay, anything, well, I'll but. Let you have your bees, but. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I get my overlaid sex. <laughs> <laughs> they have to have sex. <laughs> we'll give you the bee scene as long as you also include this technical, technically threesome scene. Yeah. And um, a dog drinking whiskey. <laughs> yeah, I need it in there. I need it. Okay, I'm glad that I wasn't the only one. I thought I was missing something there. I wasn't sure about that. Um, and this also brings us to, you know, a point in pretty much every podcast we do where something is unanswered. So if you know the answer, write to me, tell me about it, badscienceatseeker.com. Uh, reach out to us on Instagram if you know about the bees. I do not. If you know about the birds and the bees, don't reach out. I get that. Just the bees? Reach out. Let me know. Um, so... Vegas was orange, or orange Vegas, I should call it, uh, because I named it that, because of the radiation. I believe that that's why that was their explanation. But can you explain to me how that would happen? Because that whole town was orange. You know, radiation is, is invisible. So, like, it wouldn't make, you know, the tint of everything. My guess is that it was just, they were trying to make it look like it was just persistently in a dust storm, right? That was oh. the sense I got from it. Oh, because it's like or, in the desert, maybe. Yeah, like we had mm. nukes or, and destroyed, you know, the environment all around Vegas. And so it was a wasteland. 
And what makes you think about a wasteland? Well, drifting sand. So let's just have it be a you know a twenty four seven sandstorm that sits over Vegas. That was yeah, the yeah. that was the way I got it. I kind of the sense I got. It would be great if radiation was orange because you know at least you'd have some way of knowing that you're around radioactive <laughs> material. The, you know, the problem oh, with radioactive man. material is like you don't know. So you're just sitting there and you know getting you know shot with these radiation that's not going to give you some cool superpower, just cancer. Like it'd be good if it glowed orange. So you could at least know. Like, don't go there. Yeah, Super yeah, kind of gives you the opposite cool. of a superpower. <laughs> Kills you. Death, um, it's called death. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, gives you the power to die. Um, and then I, I was curious if uh, if you guys knew, so Louvre, I believe her name was, who might be one of my favorite characters in this movie. I really loved her scenes. She was very captivating to me. Super mm-hmm. badass. She... Uh, tracks that she's like keeping tabs on Joe. He goes to see Deckard and then she scoops up Deckard, blows up their ship, scoops up Deckard, but leaves Joe alive and in Orange Vegas. And I was, again, just curious if you guys knew why she did that. I, I, I'm not sure why she did that. That That was very confusing to me, that part. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't seem to understand because I I didn't know why she was waiting so long to kill him. Right. Maybe it seems like she could have just right? killed him straight up right there or imprisoned him or trapped him because it seems like he's the only one that's going to stifle her plans. And she knows this. She's very smart. And then she captures him and then lets him go. And boy, does he stifle her plans later. Yeah, you can tell she hates him, right? Like, she, she, the entire movie, I mean, she's just an angry character the entire movie. Like, either, yeah. you know, angry, sad whenever she's around Jared Leto, and then just angry in general when she's around every other character. And you can tell, like, she, she, she wanted to kill Kay from, you know, the first time she saw him. Why? Like, she, she's clearly a psychopathic, you know, uh, you know, replicant. She's, she's built to kill. Why, why wait? Like, that I makes don't know. No sense to me. Okay, great. I'm so glad. I thought you were going to hit me with like a bunch of reasonings, but I was watching that like, kill this dude. Kill this dude right now. Blow his head off. While we're talking about her, I'm very curious about her manicure powers. So when when he's in San Diego, Kay is in San Diego, and he is, you know, trying to find the orphanage, and she's shooting those missiles at him, right? It's they they cut back to her and there seems to be a man doing a laser like pointing a laser at her nail yep um which i'm assuming is she's getting acrylics okay while she's killing k yeah. or conducting warfare <laughs> is it some kind of like is is that how she points her missiles what what was the what were the uh, <laughs> no <laughs> i, I don't think so were, were the missiles coming from her finger Are the missiles that's hilarious the missiles uh <laughs> were coming from like a drone i believe that was in the air and she was like looking at a screen to see where it was looking and then just speech recognition like dictation telling it where to fire missiles and i think they were showing her getting a manicure to display like look how badass and cold she is she doesn't even need to she can just be sitting there chilling hardcore chilling and blowing people up 
that was, that's a future nail file. So she's just basically like filing her nails. It's like, okay, I just blew him out of the sky. You're right. Like it's just, yep. just shows how badass she is. Yeah. Right. Wow. And that was, and it seemed like another writer's moment where they were like, you know what, dude, while she's blowing people up, let's have her getting a laser manicure. Am I right? And everybody's like, don't question it. Put it in. Yes. Awesome. And I like that one. That one I'm in. I actually was right. She was getting manicure. Um, yep. I, I Then I was like, Rebecca, come on. The, of course, no. the, the lasers are coming from the power of the manicurist that's going through her body. Like, you're really not getting it. <laughs> <laughs> that would be but awesome. I couldn't find in the plot summary anything about her manicurist. So I'm I love that you're just that up. I love that you're chaotically checking like the Internet while watching the movie to see if you're right about stuff. That's very smart. I usually just go in. All I have is a note. Notepad. I have a pencil and a piece of paper and I'm watching the movie doing my best. Um, okay, my final question is about these flying bugs or like machine bugs. I don't know if we have machine bugs yet. So I guess that's a yes or no question. But then also there were these like little black bugs that Jared Leto was like controlling or they're like his homies. I'm not sure the relationship there. But do, do you know what they were doing floating around? I thought they were his eyes. I thought that oh, because you he's know, he was blind and he had those like implants on his eyes. So I always got the sense because they would, they, uh, I thought the, the way they did these scenes were quite beautiful where like, it was just very subtle that those flying robots would always move into a position to kind of show you where his attention was. Right. And, oh, and so okay. I got the sense that they were his artificial eyes. And, you know, mm. honestly, if, if I had That's to have, me. you know, artificial vision, it would be awesome to have like an army of about six little flying drones that would show me, you know, Hell yeah. any direction and just move around with me. Like that, that's really cool. And, and given the level of, you know, power of his character, I mean, he's like, he's almost godlike in what he can do. Having mm -hmm. drones be his eyes seems just like that fits. Um, Great. Oh my God. That would be awesome. I would want that tech so bad. Yeah, that's super cool. I would love bug eyes. And also, I love that they didn't just like spoon feed us, like showing us what he sees and then show the bug, like for an idiot like me who doesn't get it. I'm glad that it was just <laughs> on me to figure it out, to put it together. Um, that's really great. So, okay. It seems like overall, we all liked Blade Runner 2049. I mean, it's a fun movie. I hear you that it's slow, Rebecca. I do agree with that. But I got to say... I'm that film twerp that loves that crap. I loved whenever they would like take a break, I guess you could call it, and just like hover above the city and play us some long synths. Oh, bathe me in it. I'm all about that stuff. <laughs> so I'm, I'm okay with it being slow, but it seems like overall we all enjoyed the film. I was very surprised. Yeah, uh, I, I guess I'm a Blade Runner fan. Um, I'll have to go back and watch the first one now that I know everything and I probably won't need the internet uh, to help me through it. Yep. Uh, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. So thank you. I will say the, the, the first one is fun. Harrison Ford is very cool in it. He just looks badass, which is like, I mean, he always looks badass, I guess, but he looks like uniquely badass in, in the first Blade Runner. Is that true? Like he looks like a different Harrison Ford from what you're used to. Yeah, he's he I mean the the character K, they clearly, you know, emulated very strongly off of Harrison Ford's Deckard, right? Like so the mm -hmm. there is the same level of coolness and coldness and, you know, that kind of thing, badassery of of, of Harrison Ford's Deckard as in K. Um, yeah. And yeah, no, I think, uh, uh, you know, 
if you do go back and watch Rebecca, I recommend watching the director's cut as opposed to the theatrical cut. And Ooh. the theatrical cut, the, my understanding is that the studios decided that it was that the director's cut was too difficult to understand for a general audience. So they put a narration over it, like Deckard narrates right. everything. Yes. And it's so annoying in a lot of ways because he's he's telling you what you're seeing and you're like, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I get that. It's like it's like they, they dubbed it way down. And so the director's cut took that out and it's and it has that same feel as 2049 where there's just lots of silence and like immersive scenes, mm-hmm. you know, with like big giant dark buildings and, you know, yep. shooting flames that just every once in a while go up for no apparent reason. Right. Um, but it's 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 immersive in that way on the director's cut. Um, but although I will say lots of the key points of the first movie have already been spoiled for you for, for watching 2049. So, you know, the, the big reveals, I think, are probably going to hit a little bit softer, but it's still a good movie. Yeah. Just uh, hit up those scientists that implant memories and ask them to erase your memory of this movie and then okay. watch the first Blade Runner and then this again. OK, and Tim, you can get me their email, right? Uh, yeah, you know what? If you want to come to the lab, we'll just we'll zap your brain with something, and 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 hopefully that'll get rid of the memories. Okay, cool. Worth it. <laughs> worth it. <laughs> Hashtag worth it. Um, okay, Rebecca. Obviously, uh, people need to be listening to the Alarmist podcast, uh, which I was honored enough to uh, guest on recently. We had such a fun time uh, on that show. But if there's anything else you want to tell people about or promote, please do so. Oh, they can follow us. Uh, we're at the Alarmist Podcast on Instagram. That's the best way to find us, and we're all over Apple Podcasts, and you know wherever you get your podcasts. All over Apple Podcasts. You guys are all covering over. that. Oh my god! <laughs> Blanketing. And please, you should listen to Ethan's episode. We covered the Biosphere Two. Yes. Um, which was a, a, a fascinating nineties. Uh, disaster i would say yeah i mean fail yeah Um, truly a low point in our history as a species and if you mm -hmm. don't know about it you really do got to listen to that episode because my mind was absolutely blown learning details about biosphere (laughs) 2 couldn't believe it when they make a Polly shore movie about your failure that's about as low as you can go right like (laughs) i'm hoping Polly shore does my biopic uh once i'm gone yeah, yeah, uh, I, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure you'll go much sooner than him. It'll, it'll be an honor. No, they're going to hologram him. It's going to be a hologram oh, uh, of Polly okay. Shorf uh, acting as Rebecca Delgado-Smith. That's awesome. Well, I can't wait to watch that. I'll be looking out for that. Tim, anything you want to tell people about, please do. Uh, if you if you want to, I, I regularly tweet at, uh, at TD Versteinen on Twitter uh, if you're with a mixture of science and social issues so uh if you're interested hit me up there um and yeah otherwise take a look out for the book uh do zombies dream of undead sheep with uh myself brad boytek who's a professor out at ucsd if you want to learn about zombies and brains and zombie brains which we all do so go purchase that book thank you so much tim thank you so much rebecca and i'll see you next time